Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Boots of Founder podcast. Today, I'm talking to Rosie Sherry, proprietor of Rosieland and community empowerment expert. Now, I messed this one up a little. Rosie and I were talking for 10 minutes already when I noticed that I had forgot to hit the record button. Well, since I'm all about building in public, this means sharing the mistakes that we make as well, and this is a pretty big one. So, oops, sorry about that. Let me summarize this for you so you can imagine this 10-minute conversation. One thing that I've always found fascinating about Rosie is that she's a big believer in unschooling, the kind of homeschooling that isn't based on a set curriculum like regular school, but on a guided form of letting your children follow their interests. Coming from Germany, where they will take away your kids if you remove them from school for a couple days? This is incredibly interesting to me. So that's what I opened my interview with. Rosie has a really down-to-earth approach to preparing her kids for adulthood, which involves some of her five kids teaching the others in the subject that they're interested in. And she also regularly shuttles them to the library where they can pick up whatever they want to learn about next. This is incredibly kind and empowering, allowing her kids to learn at their own pace with minimal external interference, yet still receiving instruction and guidance from within their peer group. So kind of points at something because one thing that stood out to me is how Rosie has understood the value of community of any size. We'll talk about this a lot in the part of the conversation that I actually did record. <laughs> now let's dive right into the conversation because that's the best we can do at this point. Here's Rosie talking about why her kids didn't enjoy regular school and how that impacted how she educates them. My eldest was at school. He wasn't enjoying it. He was complaining about like kids uh, being too loud when it was supposed to be like quiet reading time. Um, and then we went to like a parents teacher meeting and we got to see their work, their workbooks. Um, and like he was obviously bored because he had been doodling like in the pages. And I was like, oh, cool. That's like a great drawing there. And, and then like there was this big fat red mark from the teacher saying, you know, like basically like telling him off for, for doodling. He's like, you shouldn't be doing this. Um, and, and then wrote some kind of like lacks concentration, something like that. And that was kind of like the turning point for me. We were like, do we really want to do this? It's like, this is the reality of what, what school is. Um, and basically shortly after that, we asked him, he's like, do you want to uh, stop going to school? And he was just like, yes, completely, 100%, yes. Um, so we took him out first and then, uh, I don't know, maybe like three months later, we took our other son out, um, trying not to do it all, all at once, kind of trying to test the waters, um, see how we feel. Um, and the rest is history. But like my three younger ones haven't really been to school. Uh, two of them tried a private Waldorf school, like part time. for They lasted a term um, and they were like, no, we don't want to do this. this. This is not fun. So we're like, all right, come out. <laughs> That's interesting because I know several people who went to Waldorf schools and they they found enjoyment, even though there was structure, it was a different kind of structure that they were more compatible with than regular school. But they were in regular school before, so they had something to compare it to. I think that that might make a lot of difference too, right? Yeah, I think so. I think they're just too used to like, uh, probably just not spending any time on things that they don't like to do. Yeah, and, and and some people will say, "Oh, well, you should force them to do stuff they don't like." I'm like, "Nah, I don't think yeah, so." Yeah, that that sounds a lot like uh, it, it happened to me, so it has to happen to you, kind of thinking, yeah. right? This kind of forward pushing forward this 
this tradition of uh, indoctrination. Yeah, that that is my experience. So that's where I come from, right? Uh, um, in, uh, in East Germany, in particular, there was a pretty hierarchical, very top-down school system, and nobody was allowed to question it. Nobody did question it because it was also politically entwined. So there was that whole level too. I remember it, it ex exceeded the, the the basic initial couple years of schooling too. It went all the way into academia. My my grandmother, she lived uh, her professional life throughout the existence of the East German socialist state. And even when you studied like the, the highly intellectual topics beyond politics, like economics or sciences, the, all these things, and she was, she was an economist, you had to always look at it in the context of the, the Marxist-Leninist political perspective. Like that was part of that system. And she was not too much into that. She just wanted to do economics. Like, great, I'm grateful for that. Not having this kind of political stuff in my family because I'm. I was also. I was born in '85, so I only got like four years of that whole thing. But she always told me that if you didn't comply with that, you had no career. And I, I feel school is if you don't comply with the disciplinary structure, you don't have success later on with your grade point averages and all these kind of things. And uh, what I wonder about unschooling is like, how does it match up with these kind of market expectations of grades of these, these accolades or these compatibility charts, which are kind of these grade sheets. That's, that's how I, how I see them. How, how do you deal with the fact that when you have kids in the system or not in the system that want to join the larger market later, how do you prepare them for that? Yeah, I don't know. None of our kids are <laughs> in the market yet, so I Good. don't quite have experience uh, getting there yet. But like, I have no qualifications, right? I was—I've been on my own since I was eighteen. Um, I made my way. Um, my kids have it off better than than I did. So, you know, they have luxuries that I wish I had. You know, they have the safety of a, of a home, and they're not, not going to get kicked out. Or, anything like that but sounds very much like the indie hacker spirit right that's kind of what it is like we'll figure it out if there is a challenge we'll meet it along the way yeah but it's my interesting. kids are smart they're really smart right so it's like i want them to focus in on what they want to do um but at the same time they're not scared of working but um one of them wants to get a job at, at some point soon and i think he will but uh like not right now so it's like you know, it, it, I think my philosophy is basically if it causes stress and disharmony to like push my kids towards doing something, then I, I kind of back off and just like give it space and let things kind of uh, see what rises after that. It's pretty relaxed. That That is a very interesting segue into what I also want to talk to you about, which is community building, because that sounds like a, a paradigm. That sounds like if it's if it's harmful, if it's stressful, then it shouldn't be done. Do you also translate that into how you approach building and maintaining communities? Yeah, probably. It's all interrelated. Indie hacking and schooling, community building. It's, it's, it's all the same thing, I think. You know, the, the foundations of it is that you want to be surrounded by good people. You want to do good things. You want to tap into people's talents. You want to support them. You want to find problems to solutions. Um, it's all like, yeah, it's all one big samesy pile of stuff philosophy of life i guess 
it's an empowerment move, right? Like I, I think building a business is empowering people to do something better. Like teaching children is empowering them to do things on their own. And running a community is empowering people to find other people who want to hang out with each other and, and help each other. Yeah, like and exchange information. I love that. I, I love that. What, what a positive and open and friendly approach to just doing things with and for other people. I, I really enjoy that. And with that, I, I do have to, to ask you, because, you know, you run Rosyland, which is a one, it sounds like the most magical, wonderful place. I, I I would like to know more about it because that's just you know it's it's just such a nice and friendly and person centric space. So what is that and why is it? What is it for? Oh, it's like uh, where do I start? Ro <laughs> Rosyland uh, is it was just meant to be a blog and a newsletter to begin with. So when I stepped back from ministry of testing, I was looking to focus more in on community um, and uh, part of that was like oh I'll you know I had this opportunity to lead the community indie hackers I was like I'll take that and like you know it'll teach me how other communities uh, are run it'll be a good learning experience um, and basically I was surrounded by indie hackers which are kind of like my people I guess um, but I was like I want to write about community but I had never had the chance to actually specifically like write about community building I had like had my head down with ministry testing and uh, like doing stuff rather than writing or creating. Um, and I've referred to the, the term Rosyland for years. Um, this is like just something that I've used uh, or my husband has used. It's like, you know, when, when, when my husband like looks at me, it's like I'm off, like focused on something. I don't reply. He's like, oh, she's, she's off in Rosyland. He's like, let's not talk to her. <laughs> So basically, like this, this space oh, okay. up, up, up in my head, um, and I was thinking, of, I was trying to think of a name to call my my website, my blog, a domain. Um, but then an indie hacker ended up coming to me and said, "Rosie, you know that Rosie dot hand is available." I said, "Domain, you should grab it." I was like, "Oh my god, that's like so so perfect." So so I grabbed it, and and that 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 was, I guess, the the start start of it. But. I started like with a kind of curated newsletter and then um, slowly uh, each, I guess, few months, I would like level it up a bit. I was like, right, I've done, I can do that. I've got my flow for that. Now I'm going to like uh, turn it into a paid newsletter. Um, and then um, I got distracted by a day job and I kept that going, but not as well as I should have. But um, over time, so I, I still ship like an article, new article every week and a uh, weekly newsletter. So two two things a week, uh, basically for the past, I don't know, two, two and a half years. Um, and I'd never done that before. Um, I've taken some breaks, but like not, not many, like uh, Christmas and I, I took a break in August. Um, but basically consistently writing, like I've never written before. So now it's, it's, it's more of a community now. So now I've like... Um, Basically, since I left, left my last job, I kind of uh, I restarted it all from scratch, um, scrapped everything and just like rebuilt everything in Ghost. Um, and I've been building a community from that. And uh, finally, it's like, you know, I think uh, what's the right word? It's, 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 it's going well at the moment. I think I feel very, very happy, like uh, with, with where I am at the moment. I'm glad to hear it. 
And I think like it's it's one of these things where you when you write about the thing you do and the thing you do then attracts more people into this group that want to learn about the thing you do and then you write about it for them. It's just this nice self fulfilling kind of loop, right? It's self feeding loop. Like the the feedback you get from within the community makes the content for the community better and vice versa. I I really like to hear about it and I love when you share things for like from the community how the community is doing. You you also have a really nice Twitter presence sharing your knowledge for free on Twitter, which then attracts more people into this mind space even of sharing knowledge and building community. I love that. Um it is a you you say it's a newsletter/blog/community that you're doing all of these together. I I guess the, the the independent is in there as well, or is that an, a distinct project? How do you how do you see that? And what is it, maybe, for those who are listening? <laughs> the independent is um, so that's that's indie and independent, like you know, a nod, I guess, to the indie founders out there, the indie hackers, um, and I guess that's for me, like partly, I feel like I I have a lot to give in that world as well. Um, it's not part of Rosaland, it's just something separate. So I have a little Slack community um, and I recently started a Substack for it so I could write there as well. Um, I've, I kind of decided recently that like Fridays are my independent days where I'll kind of like thrash out uh, a post every week. Um, and for me, I think that gives me like a nice break from Rosaland just to like do something different almost energizes me. <laughs> it's like work on a different project uh, for um, a different kind of energy, I guess. Yeah, that, that was one of the things I was thinking about in mentally preparing for our conversation today was that any community that I've ever been part of, particularly when I had to manage it, and most of these were World of Warcraft guilds, so let's let's you know keep keep that a bit like in, in the background here. I at some point grew tired of the you know the politics, the bickering, and all these little things that can happen in communities. And you like pulling yourself out of it for a day a week and doing something else that probably is already enough to kind of reestablish this this baseline of enjoyment of the actual community. But how do you deal with these things? These kind of any community has has negative things, things that shouldn't happen or things you have to police. How how do you do that within your own communities? Honestly, I don't have a lot of that at all. Um, I think I think there's this natural assumption that you have to deal with that kind of stuff, but um the community i have is i mean i wrote something about this it's like a community is not necessarily a free-for-all for anyone to post and do what they like um setting up a culture well in advance um and living that culture um executing on it um influences who shows up um i you know even though like i'm quite active on social and pe people know me and all of that kind of stuff i don't really do a lot for for growth for my communities i don't reach out a lot i don't say you know try to pull people in when they're not ready to pull in i kind of just have this philosophy it's like whoever's going to show up that's who needs to be here and they'll find they'll find me when, when we're here um and i think as a natural consequence that that just attracts the right kind of people who don't misbehave I love that. Um, That's yeah. so nice. And and yeah, and and it's also just like cutting down like pretty quickly on on certain things that I don't like, and one of them is is self promotion. Um, so uh, my community exists in many different places. So I have a Twitter community, for example, um, and I make it very clear that 
no self-promotion. If someone posts anything that's even remotely close to that, I, I kind of remove it and as quick, quickly as I can. Um, and not a lot, not enough communities do that. I don't think it's like um, they're not they're not designed to. I guess like I'm a bit uh, militant on it, but I'm like I want to get stuff done. I want to change the industry. Um, so to get there, I feel like we need to focus in on on good conversations that actually help people and create some kind of impact. Yeah, that it sounds to me like most people misunderstand why communities exist when they go for this heavy self-promotion stuff. And that's kind of why Reddit has developed such a strong anti-advertising policy in most subreddits. You get banned immediately if you even just post a link. It doesn't matter where it is. Like, it doesn't matter where it links to. As, as soon as you pull people out of the community to go somewhere else, you're an enemy of the community, right? in, in a sense. And I, even though I often feel this is a bit too much, because, you know, the, the internet is supposed to have content that is linked. Um, I do understand that most people have a semi-nefarious purpose in posting something. They want people's attention, right? People are trying to grab people's attention out of these communities. So for, like, p purpose-driven communities or goal-driven communities, I very much understand that you don't want ads, you don't want self-promotion in there. That's that's an interesting point. And, and, and I, what I heard was setting up a culture beforehand. And that feels hard, you know, because how, how do you set up a culture without people already living the culture is am i just misunderstanding this or is, is that like a little secret that you're using or how does that work no i think it just starts with yeah i start with just being me and like choosing to um create the things that i want to see in the world uh, rosaland right it's like it, obviously it was like it wasn't meant really meant to be a community but like uh, some some people would look at the term the the, the name Rosaland and they would say oh no that that name is like too personal to you, but then like <laughs> I put out a tweet a few weeks back saying, you know asking uh, what what businesses out there have the founders name in, in them and it's like there's all these businesses that have these founders names in them, and I was like right that's like zero excuse it's like Rosaland it is Rosaland's here to to change communities. As arrogant as some people might think that is, because it's it's also my name, um, but it's like yeah, whatever. But um, that's that's so weird to me too, because you're such a humble person, right? It's like it's the exact opposite of what you, the megalomaniac kind of personality you would think. And uh, yeah, if you have Walmart and you can go there and buy things that are not designed by Sam Walton, right? Then you can go to Rosalind and learn about community. That's fine. I, I, I very much agree. And I think it's actually quite nice that you have something. Also, it's kind of a play on words, right? Like uh, Rosie as, as, a, as an adjective. So it, it's not really a, a selfish kind of connotation. I, I really like it. I, I love the name and I love the, the visuals that you have with it too, right? The little rainbow and the clouds. Like, that's why I said it's a magical place. Like, Rosyland is a magical place. Even in my mind, you have created something that I'm not even part of, right? Like, I, I know of Rosyland, but I'm, I'm not, a, not a part of your community. I'm part of the Twitter community, not of your, your more um, encapsulated one. But I still know what it is, and I have a really, really good feeling about it when I think about it. So I think you did a great job with that. Um, and, and one thing that, that really stands out to me with Rosyland in particular is that you didn't start it as a community, but it grew into one. This is something that I've heard 
couple times in the past, I think I, I talked to Daniel Vassallo recently and his um, small bets community also came out of him actually wanting to just do a cohort course. He didn't want to grow a community at all. He didn't set out to build one, but the people in his course, they just naturally bonded and they wanted a place to keep communicating with each other. And through the cohorts, that little place grew into a more elaborate construct, which turned into a community. So seeing that, that the, the best and apparently also the most authentic communities come together in a, almost an after-the-fact manner. Can you intentionally build a community? Or is that always something that comes from someplace else? What is your opinion on that? Um, like when I built Ministries to Testing, I started with a forum. So, so I went kind of straight into community, kind of. Um, but the forum had a purpose as well. We were there to like uh, talk about stuff, uh, you know, like explore things. Um, so, so I think yes, you can just start with community, but I, th I think ultimately, most of the time, it doesn't work um, because because uh, it's like all sorts of factors that you need to actually have a successful community. Um, one of them is just like brand recognition or trust. People need to have trust in you. Another one is just like um, knowing that you're tapping into a real problem. And that doesn't necessarily come with community first. It comes with like exploration of ideas. Um, so in most cases, like community is kind of like a byproduct of what you're creating. And then people naturally gather around it. Much like kind of like a library, right? So it's like you can have, you know, libraries can form communities around them or they can have community spaces or people gather there. But they go there for the books. They don't go there necessarily to like, you know, form community. It just like, that's what ends up happening because the library's there. The library has to come first, usually. Not always. I think there's always situations that kind of break those rules. But the, the more I, I try to think about community, which is basically like my goal at the moment is like, I don't, it's like, I just want to like figure out better ways to build community because like people still don't know how. Um, and um, I just think like you got, you got to have like a real problem to solve or, or similar, right? Good it's idea, like, yeah. That's usually you know, good. Otherwise, otherwise, what's the point? And so all these people like they start community um, and they invite people into like empty spaces. They, they have no goals. They don't know why they're there. They, you know, what's the point of showing up? Why? It's like people are wasting so much time in, in, in trying to set things up um, basically back to front. Um, and, and that's like kind of my goal is like, well, how do we stop people doing that and realizing actually community is re really hard. Um, often it's a very stupid thing to do, but, um, you know, it's like people see it as a quick win when, when, when it's not. It's, it's, it's the long, it's, it's a very, very long game. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of the, the audience building movement. Like the, everybody wants to have an audience. And I mean, I teach people how to do it. So I'm kind of part of it, gotta say, right? It's like, I'm also, I also am building an audience because I have something that I want to share with people and I need people to share it with for it to be shareable, right? It's kind of, it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy as well. But uh, obviously you can overdo it in terms of, I just want an audience no matter why, no matter who, no matter what. And you see a lot of people going just for sheer numbers, and inviting people into empty, pointless communities. And I, what I what I found over the last, I guess, year and a half, there's been an incredible resurgence of community building tools 
that make it much easier to build communities, to invite people to have them exchange information. But very little has changed in terms of why, <laughs> you know, like you can do it easier, but the underlying reason why you build a community, that hasn't changed, right? So with this resurgence of tools, and you've been part of both um, using new tools to build community and you've been working for companies building these tools, what is your perspective on this this incredible community-centric tool resurgence that we have been experiencing? Yeah, I, I mean, I wrote a post uh, just the other day. It's like, what is a community tool? Mm -hmm. um, what is so, it? <laughs> a, a community tool is anything that um, allows you to communicate or publish uh, something to your people. So like a blog is a community tool. Uh, it's, it's a way to communicate, an email list, a, a Google Doc, a, a Miro board, a forum, a chat space, all, all different levels of communication. Um, yet people get stuck in what is a community tool. They say, oh, it's a chat space like Discord or Slack, or oh, it's a forum. You have to have one or the other. You can't have both. And I'm just like, well, you can have all of them if you want, if that's if that's what works for you. Um, I I have a have a Twitter space, uh, a Twitter community. I have a forum. I have a, a blog stroke newsletter. I have a Slack. Um, not everyone's engaged in all of them, but like um, it it works at, in, at at different levels. Um, I think a lot of community tools have been built by people who actually don't know a lot about community. Um, and my, my current vibe at the moment is that they all focus too much on the conversation, the slacks, the discords, the, the forums. Uh, they're all like, let's talk more, let's talk more, let's talk. And then it just like soon becomes this overwhelming mess, which is why people end up dropping out so quickly. They can't keep keep up. Um, the, the conversations aren't actually that useful to them. So what, what's more useful is, yes, conversations are important. They're a big part of building community. But the problem is all those tools have that. So it's like you need to balance that out with other things. You need to like help people progress. You need to publish stuff. You need to level people up. You need to uh, create courses together, not not just the founder of of the community, um, but like work with your members to, to, to help publish stuff. Uh, yet, yet you want to help people find jobs uh, or consulting gigs. Um, all these like, you know, um, different levels that members need to um need to achieve and that are really important to them and so if they need to find a job and they know that your community is a place to find a job or that course will help them get to the next level or being certified will help them get to there then they're going to come back right but they're not going to come back for the conversations because they don't have time to talk when they have to go find a job um so it's, it's uh the the tools that basically um the TDLR is the tools are to focus on conversations and not actually about elevating people and helping people along the path. Um, and I, I often look look at tool, uh, like original communities, um, like a, a, a great example, um, even though it ha might have like a love hate thing for it is like dribble It's like dribble is like people showcase their, their work, right? And that that benefits them if they build up a reputation, they can find work opportunities through that. They can, you know, do, do all sorts of things. But Dribble offers a lot more than that now. But it's like at the fundamental aspect of Dribble, it is a community, but there's not a lot of conversations going on. Mm -hmm. It's only a very small part of it. Yeah, and, and or the I... or 
all the conversations happen around like the artwork and stuff. Yeah, yeah they're almost visual conversations. And when, when I look at the sites like, like Dribble or what Forest used to be or whatever, the, the other kind of visual uh, artboard style um, yeah, platforms, what I see is that over time, styles change and, and themes change and people pick up the influence of one person, the ideas of one and express it in their own artwork. The conversation is just happening in a completely different medium. And it's not supposed to be text. It doesn't have to be like a, a forum thread or people like voicing their comments, their opinion in a comment. Like that doesn't need to happen, right, for the platform to succeed. I love that idea. I love that idea that that, that there's a way too strong focus on conversation and maybe too little focus on actually solving the issue that people come to the community for or at least providing a way for the knowledge to get to that uh, goal to be shared within the community. I think Clubhouse and even Twitter Spaces are a great example of this. They are the least searchable and the least indexable, the, the least permanent kind of thing that people spend a lot of time and effort on. And I myself have been on many of these things, talking to people, sharing and whatever I know. So I talk for like half an hour, maybe 40 people listen to that, and then it's kind of gone. There may be a link, but who's going to listen to this for half an hour to maybe find some information? Right? It's super transient kind of medium which is very much not building this this wealth of knowledge in the community and this is a great opportunity to talk about the sponsor of this show today microacquire is the number one startup acquisition marketplace and it's simply the most efficient way to sell your startup when you're ready to make a next move typically as a first-time founder you really have no idea what you're getting yourself into when you go through an acquisition and microacquire wants to change that for you and empower you when you're speaking with buyers and then really help you streamline this whole process of getting acquired for the maximum price without any of the headaches that come with having to go through this alone. You don't need to go alone. Microacquire can help. And they have helped thousands of startups successfully get acquired at this point, And they have facilitated hundreds of millions in close deal volume. So if you're thinking about selling your startup, you might want to check out Microacquire. Go to microacquire.com to learn more. So how do, what do you think about audio? <laughs> Being on a podcast, what do you think <laughs> about the audio medium as a means to transfer information? <laughs> I love audio. I, I love Twitter spaces. But I hate that Twitter spaces is very temporary. It's like, you know, um, you show up, you put in all this effort and then it's gone. And it's like, well, what do you have to show for it? It's like nothing. And I can't, I can't bear that. It drives me absolutely nuts. Yeah, it's the opposite of um, a blog, right? Yeah, and then the other side is like podcasting. It's like I wish podcasting was easier. I wish like you could almost like just show up like on a Twitter space and then turn it into a podcast. And I think I think you can, you know, you can kind of do that with like Anchor FM or even Spotify a Green Room, which is kind of like Twitter Spaces, but then you can automatically send the podcast over to or, or the or the conversation over to. Um, uh, Anchor FM. So I think there are ways, but like it still feels like it's too much effort. And it would be great, like like you know, like this conversation. If I could just like record something like this and hit publish, because to to be honest, it's like dealing with editing and stuff. Like, um, 
that, that, that's what stops me from podcasting. I was As just thinking, yeah. yeah. So editing and actually hitting records to start a conversation. These are hard <laughs> things, you know. They're really it's, hard. It doesn't work all the time. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, that, yeah. That's, it's, that's always kind of this technical hurdle that you have to jump over, right, to get some kind of content. And I get that people expect a certain level of quality. So you might want to have a nice microphone and a sound insulated room and, you know, all these things to then produce what you did they actually say what you want to say which doesn't have to do anything with the quality of your technology right you could probably talk into a microphone while running through a city and it would still be interesting i was um that again daniel vasallo i was talking to him and he was uh, explaining to me to me how he did his twitter course he and, and why he started making a course because he was not interested in doing any of this but then for some reason he downloaded a little course on some e-commerce stuff by a woman who just literally had her iphone out talked into the iphone while she went into a shop and bought something to then resell on an e-commerce platform like just filming herself like shaky walking into a place and that was her course the whole thing and it was interesting it was insightful it communicated exactly what you needed to know to be able to do this there was no production value in this there was no fancy equipment it was just somebody selfieing themselves while doing the thing that mattered and i find if, if we could step back from all this technology stuff and i'm kind of also it's also a problem for me because you know i have a little studio i have the lights here and all these things but in the end i could just sit in whatever room and talk to you right now and it would still be the same conversation right we put too much of our emphasis on tools be it for content production or for community building and too little on what we actually want to communicate and why the thing should exist yeah so a good community tool would be one that facilitates all of this kind of stuff easily. And not, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was just, uh, it's, it's too hard for community builders to deal with creating a podcast. It's so much, it's, it's, a, it's a hurdle, right? Um, so if, if we had tools that made it quicker and easier to have these conversations and output it in a useful way, that to me is where community tools should, should be thinking. Not repurposing what the web already has which has been a long history of courses and forums and chat spaces which is basically what community tools are at the moment and and they're very like creator led which means they're very focused on this one person at the top who who profits all the money rather than trying to think about strategies of how can we uh, create opportunities for all how can we uh, have other community members contributing to this course or uh, collaborating on stuff or uh, submitting articles it's there's nothing out there at the moment that really facilitates that easily <laughs> so we need one more tool is that what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it feels like we have all these little tools that by themselves do the thing we want right we have newsletters so we can distribute our knowledge to a group of people who want to who've opted in we have podcasts for people who want to listen to something while they walk their dog and we have all these other tools for communication for conversation for knowledge persistence like we have notion shared databases google docs where people link things and put information in I, honestly the 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 Feedback Panda, the SaaS that I built with my partner, Danielle, that happened because we saw people sharing information in a shared Google Doc. 
or it was like Google Sheet or something, that they were already collaboratively in their community exchanging information. And we built a business on top of that because we saw that there was something happening, right? The community was working with each other. Now they just needed somebody to actually funnel it into something that is not just a Google Doc, but something that works better and integrates with whatever they needed. So that's where our business came from, from a tool that a community built for their own purpose. And that it's it's crazy to think that everybody is building community tools when the community can actually deal with Google Docs and get done what they need to get done, right? It just seems like people are building the wrong tools if that's what people still use. Yeah, ah. oh. it's frustrating, right? Well, yeah, it, but I, I I feel we we look for these different tools, and I think also as founders we build yet another community tool because we know it's hard to build a community. It's hard not just to build one. Building is, to me, always sounds like creating it or making it happen, but to maintain it, to consistently engage with the people in that community. And now that I have you here as somebody who's doing this on a four days out of five in the week basis, how do you stick with that? Because I quickly find, not that I'm bored with it, but I'm overwhelmed or I'm saturated with the things that happen in the community and I need to, you know, take a day off or I need to get, to get some space and then come back. How, how do you personally feel invigorated to go back and engage with the people in your communities? Uh, a lot. I think a lot of it is that, especially for like Rosyland, there's so much work to do and I can see it like and I, I know you know this too and apply this as well, but like the deeper you go, the the more rabbit holes you find and the more you're like, holy shit, why aren't people talking about this or thinking about this? Why are we even building like communities without like doing community discovery? Why is no one even using the term community discovery? Why, what, what, it's like, it's like, oh my God, it's just like, um, and that, and that excites me, I guess, um, on top of the fact that I think like community is the answer to everything, uh, <laughs> it's the answer to like uh, you know fi finding opportunities. It's the answer to education. It's the answer to uh, a better world. Um, literally, if we were all better connected and understood each other and had uh, had uh, good safe spaces to to exist in, I think the world would be so much better off. And then. Um, there's also the ideas like like the, the SaaS market. I think is very saturated. People struggle to uh, get any kind of SaaS off the ground. Um, but I think there's a niche for a community in every 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 pot, everywhere that a SaaS exists. There's a need for like an independent community to to support that kind of niche or that industry. Um, but you know, at the same time, I think a lot of them should be custom built. Um, and there's not enough custom-built communities out there as well, either. Um, that's a whole big other thing. Like Indie Hackers is custom-built, and uh, Ministry of you know, Testing is uh, majority custom-built. It's trying to serve the needs of its members. Um, Dribble is custom-built. You know, like um, if people are to take communities seriously, custom-build one. But obviously, that's hard. But like Indie Hackers did some interesting things, exploring different ways, like. Uh, uh, product directory, for example, uh, members having their own newsletters. Um, I think that's like super cool. So I just think there's um, a lot of opportunities still to explore better ways to, to build. Yeah, you have a pretty long history with the, the indie hackers community too. Uh, like uh, One thing that really interests me is how you got into this. Because uh, um, 
you know, like we all come to into indie hacking from very different different spaces. But you came to indie hacking, and then you managed the community. How did that happen? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I was indie hacker basically from two thousand and seven. That's when I started ministry of testing, um, and then I stood back um, because I I kind of got bored of testing as like an industry, and I wanted to focus on community. So I stood back in two thousand nineteen, and I still own it. Um, but I don't, I don't run it day to day, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, <laughs> that's what we all want, right? Uh, Own it, but don't operate in it. Perfect. It's, it's a very nice place to be. <laughs> um, and uh, as long as it's prof profitable as well. Yeah. But yeah, it's, which it is. Um, <laughs> good. But um, thank God. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I stepped back from Ministry of Testing and... It was really hard to step back. I kept finding excuses to go back in and oh, I'll just help out a little bit, or you know, or, or the team would at, you know ask me for my help. And I kind of decided that I need to find something else to do, otherwise this is going to keep happening. So I, was like, I, I need another job, I, or I need another project. Um, and I was part of the indie hackers community. I had done one of the early interviews, uh, the text-based interviews. And uh, I had posted it on Reddit as well and uh, made call. I'm very happy about that. Um, it got like, you know, it drove a bunch of traffic and stuff. But um, yeah, around that time, I, I checked into Indie Hackers and I saw that Courtland was looking for some so, Twitter help or social media help. I think it was Twitter. And I was like, oh, I could do that. And he was like, oh, are you sure? I thought you're busy doing something else. And I said, like, yeah, but I, I, you know, I'm stepping back. I need to do something else and I'd love to help. Um, but basically that conversation ended up turning into like a community role. He was like, you should, you shouldn't just do Twitter. You should also help, help me lead the community. And I was like, yeah, I'm not prepared to do that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting, I guess, because like he reacted in a way. It's like, obviously I was overqualified for the job, but. Um, for me, it was like, oh, indie hackers. Uh, it seems like a great community. I'd love to learn. So I went in there, in there with like a, a complete, um, what's the right word? Just like with my eyes open and you know willing to take in and try to understand. Say, like, well, what makes this community tick? And also for me, it's like a confidence thing. It's like I've done ministry of testing for over ten years. Um, do I really have it in me to? help another community am i good enough or was that was i was i a one-trick pony uh, kind of thing you know it's like those kind of self-doubt things also uh existed within within me so for me it was it was a great confidence booster and great great way for, for me to actually uh, say this yeah i know what i'm doing <laughs> That that self doubt stuff, like I, I think, like imposter syndrome and whatever you may want to call it, every founder kind of has to deal with this. But I, I think, like female founders in particular, have are constantly being prodded and you know get double the attention, get asked questions that men don't get asked. Right? So, um, it, is that something that you struggled with in that community in 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 particular, or is is that um? Well, did you did you run into a different kind of uh, scrutiny with this? I no, I I uh, indie hackers. I worried there was going to be scrutiny, but actually, it was really positive overall. It was like really, um, because obviously, like indie hackers is like ninety percent men as well, and part of me was like, uh, <laughs> he was like, am I ready to deal with men like day in day out? 
I wasn't sure if it was gonna be like you know if I was gonna get attacked or or you know like you know ha have condescending uh, comments you know targeted at me. But actually, I got none of that, which was which is you know great and a, a credit to indie hackers as well. Um, obviously, it's not perfect, but I don't think <laughs> any any community is. Um, but but yeah, it's like. Uh, I think that community in particular, is a, it was a big community and I was on the front page a lot of the time, just like posting stuff, sharing stuff. And uh, that, that was great, great for me. Yeah, that's that's kind of at the time when I heard first about you and your work and you you just being present there immediately, get, in, in, in my perspective, gave you all of the reputation. Like to me, oh yeah, this person knows what she's doing. Like she's she's wrangling this community. She's awesome. That's kind of how I felt, right? The, because the indie hackerspace is wildly diverse in many ways, not necessarily by gender, but you know, in in other ways where people come from, they come from all all different kinds of places, all different kinds of work. I mean, there's probably still uh, a lot of like white male software engineers who then build stuff, but you know, like there's there's a, there are a lot more people beyond that. So seeing you dealing with this and not taking Taking shit and just doing your thing i really like that it was very very enjoyable and ever since then i've been been following you and your endeavors and you you then at some point you stopped with the indie hacker community management you what what happened after that like what, what was your your path through <laughs> the community world beyond that yeah I, f i feel like i kind of hit hit a wall with indie hackers with what i could give um so I thought it was like a good time to like step back and focus on Rosaland. Uh but then I, I got distracted by a job offer. Uh it was like um you know, just it was a peak community craze, I think. Like looking back at the time, it's like all these companies uh raising money. Um and I was like, ah, oh, do I wanna take a job? Um and I thought I, I well, remember I, talking I, to you. I think we yeah. were we were chatting, right? Yeah, and I was just like, oh, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And I, I kind of like believed in what they were doing and stuff like that. And like the, the idea of innovation and community, it seemed interesting. The idea of leading seemed, seemed interest, interesting. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't last a year. So uh. <laughs> <laughs> this is the indie hacker Kool Aid. Once once you drink it, you have a problem. Yeah, it, it's kind of yeah. That's that's kind of what I wanted to know. Like being. Uh, in, a, in kind of a self-determined community leader versus being a salaried employee, what, what was the difference there? Was it was it about agency or about like vision? What, what, what was limiting you? If if you can talk about it, of course. Um. Yeah. Um. So I I kind of rage quitted in the end. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm honest. Uh, and I think a lot of it is about agency. Uh. uh And obviously, like I don't want to say too much, but when you're when you're an indie hacker, you you just like want to march forward and you want to have the for, for me it's like uh, creating change and and kind of being part of uh, the business as a whole. But in the end, I, I don't feel like I, I didn't feel like I could have the impact that I wanted to create, and I felt like it was going in certain directions that I didn't believe in. And I, I think for me, it's like once i don't believe in something i i struggle massively to stick with it and it's like um yeah and just like 
uh, when I started the money, they, they hire massively. And it was just like, uh, I think I was like employee number eight or nine. Um, I felt like it grew massively, but the, the product hadn't necessarily changed. Like it had, went from nine to 50 people, but nothing had actually changed. Um, and, and yeah, it's just like, I didn't, yeah. I struggled a bit with that, but th there was also conflict with Rosyland and Orbit. So I was doing a lot of community stuff that I was really supposed to be doing for Rosyland, and I ended up doing that for, for Orbit. And that created a constant conflict, which they were aware of and we had talked about openly. But I think in the end, I was like, I, I can't create an authentic community around a tool that has biases. So I have to choose. Um, and um, the, I didn't feel like they were invested in me. So I was like, well, I'm, I'm just going to gonna go. But the, the, Which is hard. Yeah, yeah, I bet. I mean, there's always an opportunity, right? You probably see that there is something like somewhere in the future uh, that could really make a huge difference with these startups. The vision, the mission, you know. <laughs> well, it's it's a testament to your integrity as a community builder that you stepped away from something you didn't believe in. I think that in, in a world where everybody's trying to look out only for themselves and only, you know, jump at any, any benefit they see, saying no to a sizable opportunity and going back to what you actually want, that's just that's just you and i like that it's really nice it's just nice to see that you 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 walk the walk right i feel that that is something why why i trust your advice why i trust your knowledge that you share and why i think you have a lot of things uh to say to community builders about how to actually be a genuine and authentic uh, center and or facilitator of community so very very interesting um so at this point you're completely focused on your own projects is that right yeah, uh, mostly Rosaline. Um slowly doing independent stuff um, as well. Um, part of it, I think, is like I'm kind of building a portfolio of communities. Um, is what I'm. I've got three at the moment. Um, so that's like Ministry of Testing, Rosaline, Independent, um, and but mostly Rosaline. That's like my main focus. I I realize I can't. I can't. I have to focus on that and I want to focus on it. Um, and uh, so I left Orbit at the beginning of the year and I basically restarted everything from scratch again. Uh, I can't, I cancelled like all the subscriptions. I'm like, you know, trying to like decide to say, like, well, do I, uh, you know, you know, just like trying to deal with the admin of cancelling some and not others or how do I manage it? How do I import them into Ghost? I was just like, I'm just going to cancel them all. and use it as an excuse to start start over. Um, so I started from zero, uh, that was around March. Um, I was slow the first few months, I was like, oh, this is so depressing. Um, uh, but, you know, it's gone all right now. I've uh, not quite reached my first 10K month, but I'm, I'm, almost, I'm almost there. That's um, awesome. Not, not 10K MRR, but like a 10K month. But um, so I, I'm quite happy with that. And... Um, I think it's only going up and up at the moment. So it's like slowly, consistently getting, you know, um, if, if I get to say like one, two, three subscribers a day, it's like, you know, it won't take long to for me to um, get to where I'm at. And it's pretty cool, actually. It's like I'm going mostly for subscriptions, um, but I'm also introducing like company subscriptions. So I've got like four company sponsors 
um, which has been pretty nice. So I'm trying to like build a balance of relationships so it's not just members. Um, and I'm trying my best to probably do what I've always done best is like collaborate with members. Um, so a few things going on behind the scenes, but like one of them is like a community curriculum that I'm working with a guy called James. And we're going to open source it. We're going nice. to like have have the basic foundations of it being open source. We're going to uh, do it in public. Um, I've just been setting up the GitHub sponsors for it. So we're going to like see if people will sponsor it as a way to uh, make money from it. Um, and, and part of that is like um, we can reimagine like what communities are supposed to be about. And at the moment, like as, as much as I love the, like the creative economy, I feel like all the communities are very much focused on the creators at the top. It's like they're the ones that actually benefit. It's like, yes, the community members can talk there and they have some voice, but really it's like, it doesn't trickle, the economy doesn't trickle down to the members. Um, and obviously like the past year or so has been like, or was crazy about the Web3 and DAOs and all of that. Um, I don't personally, um, uh, subscribe to that but like I do believe in the idea of sharing um, what you make in community with community members so I think there's other ways of doing it not necessarily through ownership it's like sharing of revenue working on stuff together um, you know all, all these kind of things and um, that's what I'm excited about I love that I guess that that sounds like you you take the the core principles of why families work so well supposedly work so well because people collaborate they they have built meaningful long-term relationships with each which they trust each other right that and you transport that into a bigger scale of a community and you keep those core functionalities as your focus instead of thinking about like how to make the most money of from or from this community is how, how do you empower them the most that is very much aligned with what i love which is helping people help themselves and others so I'm I'm really really grateful that you've been sharing all of this with me today, and uh, people who are listening. I I will take a much closer look at what you're going to be doing in Rosyland uh, with your community curriculum and all that stuff. That sounds very exciting to me to also you know help foster community around the people that follow me and and do stuff uh, in my in my circle of vision. Where can people find you? Where can people learn more about what you do? And then hopefully sponsor and subscribe to your things yeah it's all at uh twitter and i'm rosie sherry on twitter and rosyland is probably the best place which is rosy.land um, but yeah you can subscribe there you can be a free subscriber paid subscriber you can sponsor it oh yeah it's freemium right you you went to the, the yeah, freemium, freemium. that is nice freemium, yeah very inclusive i love that yeah. <laughs> well yeah it's a, we, we have a community of different means right that's kind of why yeah. i also go into like power, uh, purchasing power parity pricing for my stuff and we have to kind of get everybody like be the tide that lifts all the boats right and, and i think that's yeah. that's who you are as well yeah i think that's part of you know one thing that i didn't touch upon is like the idea in communities that um i i, I think i coined the term freemium community i've coined a lot of terms in the past two years um and it's only because like no one thinks about these kind of things in community. It's it's all kind of like um, no no one's been trying to innovate. So it's like um, when when I see words like in the indie world or the startup world or the business world or something, I stick like community on it or I, I I stick like other terms on it, and 
it becomes a thing, but it becomes a thing as a, as a way for people to actually understand. So fr freemium communities, one of them is like, it's partly free, it's partly paid. There's this mix in it. Um, whereas like a lot of people just talk in the terms of, well, it's free or it's paid and nothing in between. Um, so having a, ha having a language basically is important for us. Yeah, the way we talk about things is the way we understand them and then make them a reality in the world right that that is a great idea generally a good idea to take terms from one industry and just like mix and match them with one from another or field and then see if it's feasible if it even makes sense or what comes of it freemium community i love that what what, what a nice uh nice idea of being both inclusive and having a way to monetize so it's the perfect way of like building a business and a community at the same time thank you so much for joining me here today that was a really nice conversation thank you, <laughs> thank you for being on <laughs> and that's it for today thank you for listening to the boots of founder podcast you can find me on twitter at avid kahl a-r-v-i-d-k-a-h-l and you'll find my book zero to sold and the embedded entrepreneur and my twitter course find your following there as well if you want to support this podcast and me please go to ratethispodcast.com slash founder and leave a rating and a review if you can find the time it would be an amazing and very helpful gesture thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day bye bye <laughs>